Welcome to the Kings Insider Podcast on NBCSportsCalifornia.com, brought to you by Wendy's. I am James Ham. Joining me on this edition of the Kings Insider Podcast, we're going to Nate Duncan from the Dunk Dom Podcast to break down everything there is to know about free agency 2018. Nate, thanks for joining the show. Hey, great to be uh, here with the mainstream media, man. Mainstream media? What are you? I'm mainstream yeah. media. Is that what you're calling me now? I know. That's right. Uh, you you uh you sold out a, a couple of years ago, from what I remember. But uh, <laughs> uh that's that's that, that's great. This is this will be my fourth year covering the team for NBC. Uh, and you're right. Uh, for many years, I was non-mainstream. I you know it's well. I mean, I don't know what we call ourselves, but. Uh, Nate, so uh, the Dunk Dom podcast is your primary thing, but tell tell the fans out there for who don't know you uh, what it is that you do. Yeah, so I, I started off uh, as a lawyer, and then got into uh, NBA salary cap and, and just uh, following the league really closely in general. So I ended up retiring when my podcast took off. It's called the Dunk Dom Podcast. Find out about it on my Twitter, and so we hopefully this will be useful for us here. We just did a mock-off season with me and three other salary cap dorks, Danny LaRue, who you guys probably know from in Northern California, and then uh, Kevin Pelton uh, of ESPN and Dan Feldman, also uh, of NBC Sports. So it's uh, that is an interesting primer on how things might shake out in free agency. And uh, spoiler alert, it's not going to be nearly as lucrative for free agents as it was the last couple of years. That's right. And the reason I brought you on, because you're going to have this knowledge of who has money and the Kings have money, which is surprising. Uh, and they're going to have a whole lot of money next year. But this is an interesting dynamic because the Kings have major holes in the roster. Of course, they need more talent, of course. Um, but in this specific free agency, it's getting derailed early by the LeBron James situation and what we're seeing Thursday morning, the Kawhi Leonard situation which is totally heating up and, and looks like it could go quickly. Um, but what does it mean to have $20 million in this specific year, 19, 20 million, whatever you want to call the Kings, what they have. Uh, but in this specific year where so few teams have actual money and some of the teams that do have money, they're chasing superstars and that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. You know, there's, it really depends what you want to do with it. Right. I mean, Atlanta, it's kind of widely assumed they're one of the teams that there really are only three teams uh, that, well, I, I, I shouldn't say that. Atlanta, it's kind of assumed that they're going to be in the boat of, we're going to take out other people's bad contracts for assets. That's what they did last year under Travis Schlenk with the, Jamal Crawford. There are teams like Denver who are really desperate to get out of the luxury tax this year. You know, half the league is either in the tax or close enough to it that they can't use the full $8.6 million mid-level exception. So teams will be trying to get off of money, and the Kings certainly could get into that. You mentioned that they need more talent, that they could 
pick up some assets from taking on some bad contracts from other teams. That's one, obviously. Uh, another one is that you can get into the unrestricted free agent market, which is guys who are you know going to be in the 27 to 30 year olds old range, but could help them improve this year. Obviously, they don't have their draft pick in 2019. Uh, and so the idea would be because there's so much cap space that's limited right now around the league, it can almost be like 2015 where you can get some good players on value contracts. If you think of all the players who signed to contracts that later became values in the summer of 2015, you look at maybe like what the Blazers did that year, getting off Farouk Aminu and Ed Davis, some guys that you can identify on other teams as maybe undervalued contributors sign them to a longer term deal that's, you know, but is hopefully below what their market value will be in two or three years. You can go that approach. And then the third approach is there are a lot of restricted free agents for a young team that's trying to build. And I saw your article uh, in the last couple of days about some of the players that the Kings could pursue. Aaron Gordon, Jabari mm -hmm. Parker fall in, into that category as players who, uh, and you know, that's tough because both those guys are fours and the Kings have a lot in the front court now. But uh, to get players like that who fit into maybe being a piece long term, now you're going to have to pay a lot because they're restricted. You have to pay enough for the team to not match. So they could be overpaid at first. They hope as they grow into that contract. Uh, so those are kind of the three options that the Kings have at this point. But as you alluded to, it's a powerful position to be in when you know there really are, are only about seven teams who have money above the mid-level exception this offseason. Yeah, that's crazy. So the 8.6 uh, uh, million mid-level exemption, uh, how many teams can actually even use that outside of the the group that, that have cap space? Yeah, I mean, that's probably only maybe four or five teams beyond that, you know, who... I mean, so so yeah, I'll, I'll just run down real quickly the, the teams yeah. and the, the amount of space I project them to have. Some of this will be impacted by potentially re-signing their own free agents. They could use some of that. But so I've got Atlanta at about a little over twenty-two million, the Bulls at a little over twenty-three million, Dallas could get up to as high as thirty uh, now if that since they moved on from Doug McDermott's qualifying offer. Uh, Indiana be about twenty million could get to. Uh, are there about 17 million? They could get to about 30 if Thad Young opts out of his 13 million. We don't know if he's going to do that yet. The Lakers are at 59 million right now. That's a lot of money. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, Philly, 28 million. And I think actually Kings fans should probably hope with the Lakers that they actually get LeBron. And I know that's tough for Kings fans to root for the Lakers, but the hope that they get LeBron and get Paul George because. That means then that there's less competition out there uh, if those guys re-sign with their old teams and the Lakers have that $59 million to go spend on other players who compete with the Kings. So you're probably better off if players switch teams to other teams with cap space. That makes the Kings worth more. So I said Philly with $28 million. Phoenix is right around the same range as the Kings with $16 million. And then Utah could get to $12 million, but it looks like they're focusing on re-signing their own free agents. So they may not uh, actually end up uh, doing that. So, uh, and then of all those teams I just mentioned, probably only Atlanta and maybe Chicago would be in the 
take on bad contracts for assets. Um, so, I mean, I think it really a flexible approach is probably the right one for the Kings. If you feel like you can get pretty good assets and, you know, with not having their 2019 draft pick, if that's something that's important. Uh, you, but you probably want to basically zig with all these other teams zag. If they're going to try and all sign players, then maybe you take on assets because there's, you know, there's a bunch of teams that are trying to dump and you can create a bidding more that way. If everyone's trying to take on assets, then maybe you try and sign guys uh, who are going to help next year and also be a value contract going forward. Okay, so you brought up the Bulls. They're an interesting situation because they have Zach Levine, and their $22 million doesn't include him, right? Well, it includes his $9.6 million cap hold, which okay. is less than I think he certainly expects to get and less than many expect to get. But basically what that means is you can hold on to your ability to pay him uh, as long as you keep $9.6 million on your books, and then you just sign him last, he goes up to his 15 to 20 million, whatever it is yeah, gotcha. think he's going to get. Uh, but so he, but he only counts for 9.6 million basically is the way to think of it. So you can sign everyone else and then you sign him after that. But one thing that it could be interesting is if he signs an offer sheet, then they kind of, the clock starts because if they match it, he'll count for what his offer sheet, you know, that higher amount. So they have to kind of use that space before he signs a new contract, whether it's with them or an offer sheet that they're going to match. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, uh, Jabari Parker is a guy that Sacramento Kings fans are are intrigued by. Uh, he's had two torn ACLs in his left knee. Um, he's got a ton of potential still. Can he play the three? Because it seems like he was drafted as a three. Uh, maybe the way that things worked out in, uh, in Milwaukee was he was more valuable to them playing the four. Um, but can he be a combo forward that can steal minutes at both positions, or do you see him primarily only as a four, and that's the only way I would take him on? Well, it really kind of depends. I mean, I think the Kings are in asset accumulation mode right now, mm-hmm. and I think it helps to just have more players who, who could potentially be good, right? Marvin Bagley is drafted number two, but we don't know that he's going to be a good player yet. Uh, Jabari, you could get him, but you know, he's proven to be a good scorer. I think offensively he could play the three, although his, his shooting is evolving and it might be tough as a guy who likes to ISO. If you've then got two traditional bigs playing in front of him, if he's playing the three, you know, I mean, he could be better at the three if you had like a real stretch four option, but it doesn't look like the Kings quite have that yet. Maybe Bagley develops into that. Uh, you know, I mean, I think if you're going to say, hey, you know what, we could get Jabari on this deal. He's got a lot of upside as a scorer and, you know, we'll figure things out later because we don't even know who among our, our fours and fives are going to be good. So maybe he does end up playing the four. Or maybe he just ends up a, as a bench scorer. He can't play that many minutes coming off the, the two ACLs. But I mean, I think it's it's certainly worth exploring as an asset play. You know, if it's going to take the max to get him, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend that if. You know, maybe a, a sign and trade for minimal value could be worked out with Milwaukee, or maybe if it's just something you know in the eighteen to twenty million range, and Milwaukee just says, "Hey, you know, what? like we we got to be good right now. We can't take a risk on someone as uncertain as Javari." So it's a thought, but certainly the basketball fit on the team right now is not great. But I mean, for the Kings to say that, "Hey, we know what our team's going to look like in two years," I mean, you've seen the amount of turnover this team has had uh, over the last few years, you know, that's probably not realistic. So I wouldn't say it's a reason not to pursue him, but it's maybe a reason not to pay as much and 
you know, when you don't pay that much for restricted free agents, it's tough. And then Aaron Gordon, I would probably put into that same category. Uh, yeah. We saw him maybe more so even than Jabari. We saw him try to play the three in Orlando two years ago next to Serge Ibaka, and that was a complete disaster. Yeah, I think Aaron Gordon, um, the Kings feel the same way, that he, he just can't really play the three at all. And so they're they're out on him from what I know, uh, just because th- they love him as a player, but they they win a different direction in the draft. And when you, you choose that path, uh, it's kind of got to be the path that you go with. And Orlando is probably going to match almost any deal for Gordon anyway. Uh, so he's the one guy that I think you can circle and say of the restricted free agents, he's probably the one who's not changing hands. He's going to go out, he's going to get a massive offer and that offer is going to be met, uh, by the magic. And maybe that doesn't even happen. Maybe they even just sit down and work out a five-year deal for him. And, and he stays in Orlando without having to go through this whole process. Uh, but Nate, um, when you look at the teams that are like the Kings who, who have, sort of a talent deficiency. They they need talent. Uh, but uh, is this still really just a rich man's game? Uh, is asset management really uh, just kind of taking on bad contracts for teams that are going to sign superstars and trying to manage your cap that way, at least for the next couple of years while these, these super teams play themselves out? Because that's what it kind of feels like. Well, I think that's probably the role that I would go, especially because in this rebuild, they don't have that 2019 pick. And so, you know, I, I don't think there's anyone who looks at the Kings right now and says, even with Marvin Bagley, and even if you're high on his potential, and that's something we can talk about, obviously, but uh, that even if they have him, and if you say, all right, De'Aaron Fox is our shooting guard, or is our point guard of the future, and, and we've got uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, as well at the two, you know, maybe Buddy Heald can come off the bench as a, a super sub scorer type. You know, there's so much uncertainty other than that. And they really, you know, unless you think Justin Jackson is a lockdown defender at the three, which I'm not quite sure he'll, he'll ever have the heft to do. Not that he's not, you know, doesn't try hard there, but he's just a little bit too skinny to guard the LeBrons of the world. So they're definitely, as you look into this rebuild, even if you want to say that everyone develops, as I'm sure the Kings hope, you still got some holes there. And so how can you fill that? Well, I think maybe the key to me would be, well, there's no point in signing anyone like a George Hill or a Vince Carter or a Zach Randolph this offseason uh, because you know, you want to see this is a chance to maybe find someone who's going to be a part of the next great Kings team. Uh, even if it is a veteran free agent, you can get them on a good contract. Uh, the problem there, though, is just that there's so little – at the three available right now, mm-hmm. uh, which which kind of makes things difficult. So maybe then that that would lean towards the approach of, all right, maybe we'll take on money and that we can get that player in the draft, you know, hopefully in the next couple of years or maybe in free agency next year or, or something along those lines. But, uh, I mean, how are they feeling about Bagley? Is he, is there, is, do they see him as potentially a five down the road or is he like straight fours is how they see him at this point? Well, I mean, Vlade talked about his ability to play the three, four, or five. I don't buy the three at all. I know that's something that Mike Shashevsky uh, had told them, um, that he thought he could actually slide over and play that position. Uh, they're really yeah, high. There's a reason Mike Shashevsky isn't an NBA coach. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 
Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I don't think Flade really – I think that's one of those things where it's like, all right, you know, he kind of just says stuff. He's just trying to be positive. Like, yeah. I don't think he really believes that, you know, Bagley is going to play much three for them. I think that was kind of overblown. I, I mean, you, you you would know better than I do. But I, I that's one of those things where I think it's like, all right, this is – Oh, here's a chance to like kind of laugh at Flade and people like go overboard with that sometimes. Yeah, I, I don't even think I wrote it because I, I didn't believe it the second it came out of his mouth. And I, I thought it was, it's a fun statement, like you said. It's a, it's an easy thing to point at Vlade and kind of say, hey, you know, that's just not going to happen. Um, but the Kings are really high on both Bagley and on Harry Giles. Now, no one has seen Harry Giles except for the Kinks. Uh, he's been working out. Uh, he's been playing in practices for a year. And I think they see those two as a four or five combo that are switchable. Uh, of course, Giles is, uh, he's 6'10". He's got huge hands. He, he also, uh, last year he weighed in at 249 at one point, uh, And when they sent him down to P3, they said that he his lateral agility was that of an elite small forward. Um, so they think that he can cover a lot of ground and do a lot of cool things. Plus, if he was 249 last year, uh, well, even I think that was in January, um, he easily could play this season at 260. He's a kid who has all kinds of, uh, of room to grow physically. Um, he's already well-built upper body, well-built lower legs. Uh, his core muscles needed a lot of work, uh, from what I could tell. Um, but still he's an athlete where you don't know what you're getting because of the knee injuries. Uh, but if he is healthy and he's ready to roll, I think they envision those two as just a four or five switchable combo that they can go for the next 10 years with, as long as, you know, they both pan out and, uh, and health holds up. So, yeah, so so they really have Harry Giles, you know, kind of ahead of Scal, ahead of Willie Cauley Stein a, a, among their young bigs at this point. You think? Yeah, if I were to rate their their bigs at this point, that's that's kind of how I would. It would be Bagley and uh, and Giles. Uh, now, of course, they Willie Cauley Stein is playing out the final year of his of his rookie year of his rookie scale contract right now. Uh, he'll be eligible for an extension this summer, which I do not believe the Kings are going to do at all. Uh, and then next summer, he would be a restricted free agent, and the Kings could let him shop himself, which I think is more likely. Uh, and then they'll play the asset management game with him. If he gets too big of an offer, they'll let him walk. If if it's reasonable or if they can work something out and they see him as a third big long-term um, I think that they would go that direction. He may start this year. He may start plenty of games early in the season, but I think the transition of power is going to be to let Harry Giles. I mean, we even saw Willie Cauley Stein get a TMZ video uh, talk about how Harry Giles he believes is a rookie of the year, and I, I think if you believe that as Willie Cauley Stein does, uh, you should also believe if you're Willie Cauley Stein that that means that you're not going to play very much because Harry Giles and uh, clearly the number two pick in the draft uh, in in Marvin Bagley is going to play. And so I don't know where you fit into that picture, especially with Costa Kufis, Zach Randolph, uh, Scalabissier, I mean, all of these other pieces. So, um, And you brought it up earlier, the Kings don't have a stretch four. They have six bigs, and none of them are a conventional stretch four. I think Scalabissier has some potential to get out there and play the stretch four, uh, but he struggled mightily defensively trying to do that. Uh, I think that there's a thought that either Harry or 
Marvin Bagley can eventually do some of that play. Uh, but you're right. They need that player as well. That player that can, you know, stretch the defense. And uh, until you get that, then things are a little tight for De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, you know, it's, you mentioned Cauley Santa. I think he's be an interesting second draft guy. You know, we haven't seen him really because the Kings haven't had as much spacing at the four or even at the three at times mm-hmm. to uh, play that role as the single big diving to the rim and then being able to switch everything. I mean, one of the few times that we've seen it, I mean, you've watched more Kings games than I have over the last few years, but uh, was that game against the Warriors where they won at Oracle when KD and Steph were both out. They really had a nice comeback with Vince Carter playing the four, Cauley Stein at the five. He was just coming down the lane, like crushing dunks with that spacing. And then, uh, you know, he was able to switch everything defensively against kind of a limited offensive team. And so maybe maybe that's something I'd, I'd like to see for him, but it, it, I don't think we'll get much of a chance to see him in that role this year. So that he might be a guy that another team would want to trade for maybe as a, a cheap center option or uh, because it just doesn't seem like necessarily the Kings are, are in a position to maximize his skills. Instead, he's playing with this floor that's not that spaced. He wants to post up, and you know, I know part of that is his own feeling about how he's a skilled player, and, and maybe goes a little bit too far with that. But it's, uh, you know, that's something I, I'm interested to see. I mean, I think he is a guy who still has talent, despite the fact that you know he probably hasn't really contributed to winning basketball too much over these first three years. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I think he does have talent, and I think that he still has room to grow and to become a better player. And even this year, I mean, he averaged almost 13 points and seven rebounds a game. Um, he's not nearly the defensive player that he was, that he, that he was touted as coming out of college. Uh, but I, I still think there's intrigue there. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if the Kings hold on to him, but I also wouldn't be shocked if they shop him to try to get that small forward or combo forward. Uh, and that's, again, why... A guy like you know Jabari Parker makes sense in my book uh, because he's a guy who can play both forward positions potentially. Uh, he's not a great shooter, but he's increased his you know his ability to shoot the three ball, uh, and so he might be able to open things up a little bit. Even having a guy like Anthony Tolliver on the roster, which the Kings had last year, uh, not this yeah. last season, but the season before, he helped open the spacing up just because the the threat of someone standing there in the corner that can knock down a three. Uh, once that threat's not there, it really does compact everything. You are listening to the Kings Insider Podcast on NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. Wendy's uses fresh beef on every hamburger every day. Try it for yourself on a Dave's Double and taste the difference fresh beef makes. Fresh beef available in the continuous U.S., Alaska, and Canada. Also, make sure to uh, to practice boat safety. I'm a boater. Practice boat safety. Let's listen to the good folks at the Department of Boating and Waterways. I can't wait to spend some quality time with my son fishing this year, teaching him about casting, how to choose baits, set the hook, and how to be safe on the water by always wearing a life jacket. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Um, Nate, I, I want to get to uh, a couple other players here. Um, Mario Herzonia. Uh, he's a guy that uh, has been linked to the Kings for a little while here. Um, he's young. Uh, he was a former number five overall pick, but he hasn't really worked out at the NBA level. Uh, is he someone that you see as a uh, still has potential to grow and, and become an NBA player, or 
are you sort of in the, well, we've seen what we've seen and, you know, any numbers he put up last year were on a really bad Orlando team and I'm just not sure that he's an NBA player? Well, I think he, he's an NBA player. He's 6'8". He's got good leaping ability. Uh, it's a question of... So certainly those sorts of players get plenty of chances and they're around the NBA as long as they want to be usually. you know Maybe he eventually would just go back to Europe uh, from a financial reason. But to me, it certainly has some potential. The question, the biggest question is, is the ball going to go in the basket? People have talked about his attitude and you know, reports on that are, are not amazing. Uh, and he certainly doesn't seem to have taken a lot of the lessons to heart uh, based on some of his public comments uh, of having that fourth year option declined. Uh, that's why he's a free agent now, even though he's mm-hmm. in the 2015 draft. And, and the Magic can only pay him up to $6 million, and, and I don't know that he's part of their plans going forward. So certainly a, a gettable player for the Kings and someone who could provide some shooting. But is the ball actually going to go in? For Mario Hazonia, it went in a little bit more last year. I think he was in the low 30s shooting the three, but the hope was he was going to be a guy in the high 30s on a lot of volume, and that hasn't materialized yet for him. He also never gets to the foul line, which is a little bit of a problem. He's can throw down some dunks. He looks pretty athletic, but in practice, doesn't really get to the rim as much. And also worth noting that he had most of his success last year, to the extent that you can call it that playing the four as a small ball floor. That was, I think, part of why he looked a little bit better than he had. Uh, he has some quick feet, which uh, people, but hasn't been able to translate that into actual production on the defensive end. But certainly another player who you can take a flyer on, but the idea here would be, all right, we're not going to sign you to a one-year deal, Mario. We're going to sign you to three years at $5 million a year. And the hope is that you can become a good player for us in that time who, because you had talent, you can actually exceed uh, your market level. He's probably going to want to say, no, I want to sign for one year, build up my market and then get out there in 2019 when there's more space. And so the Kings, if that's his philosophy of, Oh, I want to just sign for a year and now you, he blows up and then you have to pay him a lot of money. The Kings really should say, no, you know, we want to get you on a value contract. We're going to hold out here. And Hey, maybe, you know what? Mario Hazonia, isn't that good in three years? Fine. You know, he's just not really a part of our plans after one year. It's obvious. And we wasted that money, but at least you're getting a guy who has talent and could work out into being a value contract. So I think he's certainly an example of the type of guy you want to get, you know, maybe there's only a 25% chance that he works out, but the Kings, their biggest asset right now is money. And so if you want to spend it on young guys who could develop rather than veterans who are on the downside. Okay, so we talked about the young guys because those are basically Gordon and uh, and Jabari Parker and Herzonia are the are the young guys that can play the three. The Kings have this glaring hole. They're also the only three that are six eight or bigger. Uh, after that, it really does get to guys who are maybe. Well, I mean, you've got your Doug McDermott's of the world uh, who might be able to help the Kings as a to stretch the defense. Uh, you got guys like Will Barton, guys who are more the six foot six. Uh, category who you're not quite sure if they're really small forwards or if they're if they're shooting guards but who stands out to you as a guy that you would say you know what uh even if they are the 26 27 year old range they're a guy that we could get who maybe could step in and take some of the pressure off of these younger players as far as a scorer uh someone that can that can just help this uh the build move along a little quicker if you will 
Uh, is there someone that sticks out in your mind that you would say, hey, if I'm the Kings and I've got $15, $16 million and I want to go spend it, this would be a good player to spend it on? Yeah, I'm not sure that there's one guy who I would want to pay that much to. Because, again, I mean, they kind of they have their one, they have their two, they got their four, they've got their five. Certainly there are plenty of bigs who are available here, and, and maybe you could take a chance, again, on some of these other bigs who are, you know, maybe like a Bebe Noguera could be someone that you look – I know you're talking about the three. I'll try and get to that. But yeah. a Bebe Noguera or a Montrez Harrell who – could if you get him on, on a decent contract, then it could be a backup center fixture for you if Cauley Stein leaves. That sort of player maybe Julius Randle not really a fit for them with with all the the fours and fives that they have at this point. Uh, you know, one guy who isn't really a scorer but might come cheap enough and, and can actually defend the three, which they haven't had, uh, is James Ennis. Now, he's 28, mm-hmm. so he's a little older than you think. He, he languished in uh, Australia for a time. But he can at least hit a shot, spend some time with Detroit last year after a trade from Memphis. And maybe, again, on a three-year deal for $5 million or less, he seems an undervalued player around the league. He actually did a pretty good job defending Kawhi Leonard in the 2017 playoffs for Memphis. So he's someone who maybe they could have around. You know, They don't have their draft pick next year anyway who can defend at the three when there's a matchup that's just too strong and burly for Justin Jackson. And then if he plays well, a guy that they could potentially flip uh, mm-hmm. to uh, as part of a trade as well. Another thing they might consider too, you mentioned the idea of uh, taking on contracts. Well, they actually have some veterans who can play a little bit, uh, or at least can play more than some of the bad contracts that are out there, right? So yeah, uh, Garrett Temple, assuming he opts into that $8 million player option, is one such player. Uh, maybe Zach Randolph as well could be traded, although that's probably one of those ones where you trade him at this year's trade deadline to for someone who has money going into 2020, if you don't think he'd be a player in 2019 free agency, and pick up an asset that way. But to try to... Uh, even Costa Kufos is still a serviceable backup center, even though he's probably not really in the Kings' plans any longer. Those are guys who can at least play a little bit. Uh, even Amon Shumpert maybe is someone who could be rehabilitated a little bit mm-hmm. to where he could help a team, but now you're taking on even worse money through 2020. Uh, that's That could be a, an idea as well, rather than just using the the empty space that you have to flip guys who can play a little bit more than some other guys you might get back. Okay, so you brought up 2020, I mean 2019. Um, the Kings have a boatload of cash uh, to spend next summer. Um, it's it's upwards of 60 plus million, 65, maybe even a little higher than that, depending on what they do. Of course, they'll have cap holds, like Willie Cauley Stein's cap hold. Um, but that free agent class doesn't look very good either, especially at the small forward position. So how do you manage this? And, and even walking into next offseason, if you, you're just the guy with so much cash that it's coming out your ears, that's not always a good thing, especially when you, you're going to have to spend it. I mean, you know, the restrictions are you got to spend up to 90% of the cap or you got to give it to your other players. Um, so how do, you, how do you manage what you have this year versus what you have next year? Is there, is there something that like stands out to you as, as far as players 
that makes sense to carry over uh, or maybe pay this summer versus, you know, trying to jump in to next summer and, and land someone bigger. Uh, but with the knowledge that you're the Sacramento Kings and landing a big fish is always going to be difficult. Well, and I'll add to that, too, that not only is it difficult to land a big fish, but then even to get the smaller fish, you end up overpaying and then you just get stuck with another bad contract again. You know, yeah. I mean, we've seen that happen to them a few times here. And so especially now, I don't mind overpaying for a player who's really going to put you over the top as far as getting not only towards the eighth seed, but maybe to, to get into contention for you know, home court advantage, if you get to that point as a team, you have a bunch of good young players and and they're about to get expensive. So it, you might say, hey, we'll use this cap space. We'll, this cap space is going to kind of go away as we get to be a more expensive team. I have to give some extensions to these guys. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we'll, but the Kings are nowhere near that point. And so I think because of that, there's also the factor that they don't have their draft pick in 2019, but they will in 2020. So, uh, you know, it's certainly no Kings fan uh, when you haven't made the playoffs since 2006 wants to hear of, well, hey, you know, we don't want to take a step back here by t- just taking on bad money and, and playing the asset game. Well, the alternative is, OK, you sign guys to bad contracts and then you just continue to perpetuate this cycle that they've been in since uh, 2006. And, and then the last n- number I'll give you right now, and this number will go down because uh, a lot of people are going to sign contracts that go through 2019 this offseason. But as of now, for this offseason, when it's going to be a very rough market out there, around the league, not including exceptions, so just the cap space teams, I've got it at about $237 million in money around the league. Right now, for 2019 summer, that projects for $758 million. Now, oh. again, that'll probably go down a lot You know, after our mock offseason. It, that number was more like 500 million. But if you think about how far your space is going to go, it goes a lot further this year than it does next year. But uh, like you said, the chances of getting someone who's really going to make a difference for this team with the, the free agent class of the three not being great that offseason uh, is pretty low, I think, especially if you're thinking all these young guys are going to work out. And so maybe the Kings could be one of the few teams that's willing to take on not only bad money for 20. 1819, but also 2019 20. And that could be a very powerful tool when there are so many teams that have bad contracts that run through that time. That that all makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's a difficult situation because I, I think everyone wants to see how the young players develop and they want to see if uh, to, to kind of be able to assess your talent a little bit better, you need time. And so the Kings hope, I believe, is that they'll have a better idea of what they have going into 2019. But the projections are that, number one, if you don't have a first-round pick, you're in trouble uh, because you can't go out and get that small forward position taken care of. Uh, but neither seasons have like a true answer for the position. There's not an answer for the small forward position unless a guy like Jabari Parker works out or a guy like Mario Herzonia decides that he is a real NBA player and he's going to develop and become something that equal to his you know, fifth overall selection in the, in the 2015 draft. So it's, it's a complex question. Do you spend, do you, you try to go acquire that asset via trade right now? Is that, is that going to be a possibility? Is there a team looking to dump so they can get in on one of these bigger players? Uh, So I think the Kings are in, they're at least in a good position because they haven't tied themselves to anything major. 
They also have the ability to stretch. I mean, we talked about all the veterans that they have that you might be able to, to deal, but you could also stretch a couple of those guys if you really did find the right deal, the right person to add to your team. And some other yeah, team. You're talking about if they trade for bad contracts that go into uh, the 2019 20 season, they could stretch. If they pick up Jan Mahimi or something, they yeah. could stretch him. Yeah, exactly. They really have the guy. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Or even if they have a deal on the table where somebody wants them to take back, you know, a, a young, good player, but they're, they want to attach a couple of really bad contracts with it, the Kings could take back that money and they could just send Iman Shumpert out the door with, you know, at, with a stretch provision, breaking his money over three years to clear up an additional $7 million in cap space this year. Or a Zach Randolph, if you think he just doesn't fit with what you're doing and we've got this deal that's pending that we need the cap space, you can just stretch provision these guys. Because that yeah. $4 million next year in the 2019 free agent class means nothing. It's a drop in the bucket when you have over $60 million in cap space. Uh, and the same could be said about, you know, Shumpert or, or Garrett Temple. Uh, although I think some of these guys might have enough value that you can go trade them. Some of them might not have any value. A guy, again, like Shumpert or a guy like Randolph, they might have, you know, negative value in the NBA market. So when you go to, when you go to trade, you might not be able to just give them away. You might have to give assets away with them. Um, so I think it's complex. So the last thing, Nate, I want to get to, uh, oh, here. well, really quickly, yeah, go ahead. a couple other names I wanted to give you on the restricted free agent market as young threes who might potentially develop, of course, uh, that they could, could think of an offer sheet to. I think one of the guys who might be gettable with the Hornets tax situation is Travion Graham. He's a 24 year old. He shot very well from three high thirties, low forties, but on pretty low number of attempts. Okay. And, you know, a little bit smaller than your ideal three would be, but certainly would be probably the best defensive three on the Kings roster. Uh, if he came in right now, maybe he and Temple, but he's got a little more heft than Temple does. Uh, and, again, probably projects as more of a bench guy, but has that three and D mold that maybe you can develop if you could make an offer sheet of like three or four million a year to him okay. over three years. Uh, you know, that would just probably be something that the Hornets wouldn't want to match. And, and you could get him as just, you know, another out potentially at the three position. David Nwabo with the Bulls falls into that category a little bit, although he's nearly a total non-shooter, which makes it tough. But can be someone who maybe comes in as just a defensive specialist. That He really changed their defensive culture when he was on the floor last year. And then Ty Wallace, who finished up a two-way and is now a restricted free agent, uh, but uh, that's only a two-way contract that his qualifying offer is. You could give him an NBA contract offer. He, again, a, nearly a total non-shooter, but showed a lot of defensive versatility, great finisher around the rim, good passer as well. He he could play some three for this Kings team. Those guys are all guys you could probably think about getting with the 3 or $4 million a year type of mark. As you mentioned, that's a relative drop in the bucket for this team going forward. And if, if that's a guy who can give you some minutes at the three, even you know, if they have some offensive limitations, those would be three guys I would really be considering for them. Yeah. All of those, uh, you know, sort of budget players, they make sense just to add and solidify what, you know, the, the Kings weakest position. They just don't have guys that are six foot eight, six foot nine who are strong enough to hold their ground at the position. They don't even have guys that are six, seven <laughs> at that position. They can really hold their ground. Okay. So lastly, Nate, I know you got things to do today. Uh, the draft. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, Bagley, 
uh, over Doncic, uh, over the other possibilities that were out there. But for me, it, it was a strange move, but I, I kind of understand why they did it. They believe that Bagley is better than the bigs that they have on their roster and projects long-term as someone who can be very, very good. Uh, but were you shocked at this or it's like, you know, it's the Kings. You're not shocked by anything. Well, I, I wasn't shocked by it, especially because it was reported that it was going to go that way. Uh, you know, I didn't really care for the perception that part of why they drafted him. And, and you could probably shed some light on how true this was. And they probably would never say this, that because he actually wanted to be the number two pick. He wanted to be in Sacramento. The other players that didn't really want to be drafted number two. Uh, was kind of the, the perception there. Um, so hopefully that wasn't part of it, why they picked him. I think the concerns for me is a big who doesn't really have a position defensively uh, and doesn't have a position and also hasn't really shown much acumen at whatever position that is. He's, he's really a 4.5 right now on both ends, which makes it tough to play a modern style. I think he does have a projectable three-point shot. To me, though, the idea behind drafting him number two is he's got to just become a dominating offensive player and then find a way to be passable defensively, whether that's switching. You, you yep. mentioned that might be the idea with Giles. Although the other problem with switching is that, you know, the Kings don't have any smalls who can switch as of right now uh, who can hold up in the post the way some of those Houston kind of tank guys can that OKC could years ago. Um so that, that's a concern, but, you know, this again, this Kings roster could look very, very different in a few years' times. If he can play, he can play. The way that I see him being worth this pick is he becomes like a Chris Bosh offensively, another smooth lefty. Bagley, I think one thing that's very underrated about him is his face-up game. I think if he can refine that jump shot, you can throw in the ball in the mid-post or, or get him the, the ball on the move in the pick-and-roll, and he can face up. And if he's got a passable jump shot, use the jab step game and then just blow by guys going to that left hand. But another problem there is I don't think he can play that way against opposing fours. You know, if he's guarded by the other team's combo forward, a Thaddeus Young, a Harrison Barnes, he's not going to have a major quickness advantage against those guys. And then his straight up post game back to the basket is very limited right now. He's not that strong has zero right hand whatsoever, doesn't get great extension on his hook shot, doesn't really have a turnaround jumper game with his back to goal. So you really, to maximize him offensively, he probably needs to be playing the five where he can stretch the floor eventually and then put the ball on the floor and blow by guys, which you really can't do at this day and age as a traditional four going against some of the combo forwards in the league. So that's that's where the concern is. But the hope is you know, he can eventually become a Chris Bosh style of player. That's the comparison I've been using for his upside, but he has a long way to go. And he also doesn't have the length or the defensive instincts that Bosch had. You know, that's really more of an offensive comparison at this point. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And I mean, it is what it is. You make the pick and then it's time to get in the shop and, and work on these guys and teach him how to play defense, teach him how to, uh, you know, how to become that next level player and really work with him and grow him. So hopefully the Kings have the patience to do that with him. Uh, I do know that, you know, anyone that can step into the ACC and put up the numbers he did, uh, they've got talent. And so uh, I wouldn't just, you know, I, I think it's a good pick because I think he's got upside. I think it was a questionable pick because there were players that might have fit what you're trying to do long term uh, that would have maybe helped you a little bit more. 
Um, but all right, Nate, thanks so much for dropping by. I know you've got a, a lot of stuff going on. Um, they can find you on Twitter uh, and, of course, the Dunked On podcast. Uh, thanks so much for, for swinging by today. Absolutely, man. Hopefully we'll talk to you for uh, the Kings preview on Dunked On in a few months. There we go. Uh, Nate Duncan of the Dunked On podcast. Uh, make sure to give him a follow. All right, you've been listening to the Kings Insider Podcast brought to you by Wendy's. If you haven't already, please visit Apple Podcasts or Google Play to subscribe. And if you like our podcast, give us a rating and a review. We would really appreciate it. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at NBCS Authentic. We'll be back next week with Doug Christie and another great guest. Thanks for tuning in, Kings fans. We'll see you very soon.